Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10, starting with verse 17, where we left off the last time. And the last time we did see the nine out of 18 points of really apostleship based on what Jesus speaks about in chapter 10. I try to break it down into 18 simple points. We covered nine the last time, and we're going to cover the, the last nine this time. But we did cover power. Where does the power come from? Of course, the Holy Spirit. Accountability, that we represent God. Uh, who is our audience? What, what is the message, which is one of the most important things? You can do all these things and have the wrong message and not represent God, and that's going to be a problem. Uh, basically, how they do these things, whether their equipment is spiritual or earthly, what their mannerisms were, and their temperament and personal disposition. But most importantly, an apostle had to be willing. Remember, they were sent by God. So we can make applications in our own lives uh, and really mimic these in our own little sphere of influence in the world. Uh, God, basically, we, we learn from him, we read his word, we pray, uh, we try to study his word, we ask for discernment. We may ask for more mature Christians to help us with something that we're struggling with that we don't understand. And then at some point, and that's discipleship, because the word for disciple just basically means as a student. You're sitting at the Lord's feet, you're receiving, you're taking in. But then when you get built up, there's a time where the Lord sends you out to do something, maybe to be a missionary or maybe just in your own community to minister to folks there. Uh, and really, that's a, you know, the 12 apostles had a specific calling and a commission, but we can mimic their actions in the idea or the concept of being sent after we've been learned in the, world, in the, in the word. So we're going to start with verse 17. Jesus continues, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. So the 10th point is of an apostle is to be rejected at some point by the authorities, whether religious or secular. Now, religious, that sounds odd. Wouldn't the religious be on our side? What's the difference? Well, we know that in the Old Testament, in Second Chronicles 36, you can read, it's a very sad chapter. It said that God sent his prophets, he sent his people, and most of their uh, persecution came from the priests. It started, it started with the ecclesiastical leadership, with the religious we see in the book of Acts, we covered that a few years back, uh, that the disciples, that the apostles ran into opposition, again, from the authorities and from the religious system. And we know that when the Lord comes for the true church, there still will be a church, so to speak, left on the earth, but it will be a false ecumenical religion in the time of the tribulation masquerading as Christianity. And we know that the Antichrist will be empowered by the dragon. He will give him his power. And we know that the false prophet will be there to rally everyone together in an ecumenical spirit. So there's a, a facade uh, of Christianity or, or faith, but there's really nothing behind it. What about today? Have you ever stopped to talk to somebody who was maybe religious and share God's word with them? Maybe they haven't read God's word. What was their response to you? I could tell you that I grew up in a major religion, but I was not saved. And when some would come to me, I would put them off and say, no, I am a whatever. This is my denomination. I'm fine. But I wasn't fine. I wasn't saved. I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. 
Much of even entrenched Christian religion today will attack those who believe in the Bible because some things in the Bible can be divisive. You know, right? The, the word of God is, is like a sword. It's the sword of the spirit. It cuts everything in pieces and, and discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And everything is laid naked before God and bare when this happens. So you ever pick up a, a copy of Christianity Today? Hey, it's Christianity Today. Some of the articles in there are quite heretical. I'm not even going to go into them. I mean, I, actually, I have before, uh, but they're, they're pretty heretical. And the things that they say about God are blasphemous. But it says Christianity, but it doesn't matter. They're part of the problem, you see. Talk to me after service. I'll, I'll explain some of the articles to you. But why is that? Because it's easier to say a prayer. I memorize this prayer. I say it every night before I go to bed. It's easier to put some money in the basket. It's easier to do a rote ritual, do something on Sunday, and then not take it with you the rest of the week. See, relationships take work. They take sacrifice. They take effort. Any of you who are married know that, right? That's not funny. That's the truth. (laughs) But they do. They take work. There's a sacrifice involved to maintain a relationship. If you have friends, it takes work. It takes effort. You don't put anything into a friendship. What type of friendship are you going to have? You know that if you have children, right, and they they become adult children, there is a a, a sacrifice, there's an effort into maintaining those relationships. They don't just exist because they're biological. So God, who created relationship, he created us to have the best relationships on earth. He's not going to settle for anything less than our hearts. He wants the same thing that we put into our children and our spouses, and then some. He wants to be the one that is the object of your affection in your life. All right? Verse 20, it says that the Holy Spirit will give you the words when these things come to pass. Remember Stephen, the first Christian martyr in the book of Acts? At his death, he gave a sermon that would put, give any preacher a run for his money with no notes. And who was he? He was a waiter. The Bible tells us he was a deacon. He waited tables. He did the grunt work so that the apostles could pray and discern the word. But this man, at his death, boy, the Holy Spirit really gave him the words. And we can argue, we know that Saul, who became later the apostle Paul, was there. And no doubt that Stephen, at his death, affected Saul and and affected the seeds to cause his conversion and become St. Paul. Pretty impressive for a guy who waited tables. Now, some of you may say, well, who am I? What do I have to offer? I'll tell you what, that is a great start. Just making yourself available. Lord, I don't know what I can give to you, but I'm available. That's what he's looking for. And you never have to worry. I'll tell you that when I was younger, I was very confused. Believe it or not, I was a teen at one point in time. And I was confused. My parents were divorced. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And I didn't know where my life was going. Tried a lot of things I shouldn't have tried. But the bottom line was, I didn't have anything to offer anyone. So I thought, now I stand here as your senior pastor. So God can do anything. He can do anything. He can, you know, he could just reach into the depths of the earth and hold his nose, in my case, and and pull you out and clean you up and use you to his glory. So that's impressive. Well, I will just say this, that the Holy Spirit, no matter what situation you find yourself in, The Holy Spirit, if you rely on God and you don't trust in your own abilities, the Holy Spirit will speak for you. 
If it's an occasion to honor God, and, you'll, and many have told me they've done this, and they've come away from an opportunity and said, I don't even know what I said, but it affected the person because the Lord took over if you let him. Verse 21. Now brother will deliver a brother to death and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. The 11th point of apostleship is to be rejected by loved ones. This is a tough one. How many of you, I'll raise my hand, when you became a Christian, experienced rejection by those that you loved? Quite a few. Just because you chose to follow the Lord. Now, in my life, when I was drinking and lying and doing all kinds of bad stuff, it seemed like I was accepted more by my peer group than when I became a Christian. Understand there's a spiritual undercurrent there. When you choose not to run with the world anymore and you choose to try to please God, others will be affected by that. And if they're not submitted to Christ, they'll have a problem with that. How many of you have ever heard the term honor killing? Right? Happens a lot in the Middle East. If you, you, know, you think we have persecution, you know, somebody says something derogatory or whatever because you're a believer, that's nothing compared to what Christians go through in the Middle East. If a, a person becomes a believer... What happens is they will be persecuted by their family. They will be, uh, there will be an obligation for them to be beat and sometimes to be killed for their faith. It's, it's a pretty tough thing. Satan doesn't play fair. Now, today, uh, we may lose friendships, relationships. Today, somebody could be your BFF, and tomorrow they could stab you in the back because they don't like where you're going with your life. But verse 22, it says, he who endures to the end will be saved. Now, that word endure in the Greek is hupomeno, and it's a composite word. It means to remain or stay under. And I'll try to do an illustration there. Part of that word meno is used in John 15, and it's used to be translated to the English word abide. But it also means, again, to remain or to stay. Jesus says, stay in me, abide in me, you know, follow me. And that's important. That's a command. Swear allegiance to the Lord no matter what. Don't quit. There's plenty that uh, maybe having an emotional experience, say they become saved, and just right out of the gate like a horse race, you know, they take off. And then if seven months later or so, they're gone. Where did Bob go? Where did Jane go? Anybody see them anymore? They so, like there's an emotional experience, but it, it doesn't carry them the distance. This is a distance faith. Right? This is something that we endure to till the end, even if it means that we're being persecuted. Even if it means you're faltering. Even if it means, uh, and, and some have come here, and they've made a profession of faith, and then gone back to their peers and have been so criticized and ostracized, it's right here in this very church, that they haven't come back. They couldn't take the pressure. Hupo meno to stay and to remain under. To me, I look at the uh, persecution as, as a burden. It's something that's pressing down on you, and you're trying to hold up that burden. You know, it may be something simple as you saying to another brother or me or the elders in the front, the pastors who, who pray with you afterwards, reach out your hand. Let somebody know that you're going through that. You know, reach out your hand so that we can go and maybe go underneath there with you and help you also. When to lift in that burden, it becomes a little easier. So there's just a little illustration there. Verse 23, but when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. 
Now understand that some of this, most of it, is applicable to us, but Jesus was speaking to his 12. So there were some things that were going to be contextual that they had to get because persecution was coming to them. So we can look at this and say, number one, before, um, you know, to go through the cities of Israel, that they wouldn't do that. Well, uh, maybe after Christ was resurrected and then ascended, they had to go through the cities and maybe they didn't make it because of persecution. Um, some look at this contextually and say, this is a picture of the tribulation saints, another uh, application of this, uh, where the 144,000 would be sealed, Jewish believers, to do the work of the Lord when the, when the believers are raptured or removed from the earth uh, and they're with the Lord. And maybe they had to go through all those cities of Israel. Jesus also said in another picture of, of the scripture, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? But we can also look at this and ask a question. We're in the age of the church. The church has been uh, pretty much going since the Lord was ascended and he gave his Holy Spirit. Church has been around for some 2,000 years. Has the church dropped the ball with uh, evangelizing? Right? There's a lot of buzzwords, there's a lot of fads, there's a lot of feel-good things that come and go in Christianity. There's the social gospel and other things where we kind of get off the Great Commission and start getting involved with things that are good, raising the standard of living. I'm for raising the standard of living. We do have a homeless outreach. But I'm more concerned with where these individuals are going to spend eternity. There's no sense in dressing them up, giving them a home, giving them a job, just to withhold the gospel for them not to be with us in eternity. Right? That's important. So evangelization, if you really believe what the Lord told you, if you really believe that this is the truth, and this is the pearl of great price, and this is salvation, then we want to share it with others. Verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of the household? The twelfth point of apostleship in an aggregate sense, is rejection by the world wholesale or the world system. Now, I would encourage all of you, and we can facilitate for you, we can get you the address, to subscribe to Voice of the Martyrs. It's free. They don't charge you anything. But they basically let you know in all these countries where believers are persecuted what they're going through literally, what their stories are, how to pray for them. And in some instances, to send postcards to the leaders of these countries that are holding believers in prison, awaiting a death sentence, just for talking to somebody who might be a Muslim, and they become a believer. That, in Pakistan, Law 295C, is a, a crime punishable by death. Imagine if that came here. So I would suggest, uh, you know, if you, if you want to know how to do it, we'll be more than happy to give you the address. But if we truly follow Christ and the world is opposed to Christ, then guess what? They're going to be opposed to us too, right? The disciple, we are not greater than our Lord. If he was persecuted, why should we think that we would escape that persecution, even if it's just verbal? And if Jesus and his miracles were attributed to Beelzebub, and if you understand that word, it was very profane and very derogatory, okay, then what will they say of the followers of Christ? The sky's the limit. This is a strange commission to love the world, and at the same time, they're trying to harm us. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, um, and there's a lot of news that doesn't get reported, but in a three-month period of 
November, December of last year, and January this year, five countries that we know of, only five, Egypt, Pakistan, the Philippines, Nigeria, and Iraq, 120 Christians were killed just because they were believers. 280 were wounded. That's 400 of our brothers and sisters that were targeted just because they're believers for no other reason. That's astounding. That's astounding. But what we know that we're to love the world, though, and we're to win them over to Christ. And there's a, you know, sometimes I read the, the articles and I get angry, but that's not the reaction that the Lord is looking for. The reaction he's looking for is not only to pray for our brothers and sisters to be encouraged and strengthened, but also to pray for those leaders to be changed so they don't have such a hatred of, of our brothers and sisters because they believe in the Lord. Verse 26, some of Jesus' teaching is, is just intense. It's just where we are in the scripture. Verse 26, therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and nothing hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. So the 13th point is that an apostle is to have resolve, courage, and be a God-pleaser and not a man-pleaser because of we, we know what the truth is in the end. We know justice is coming. We know that all the scheming and the secrets, all the conspiracy theories that we wonder about, who shot JFK, were the two people involved, was it a conspiracy? You know, there's just a whole bunch of them out there. All that stuff will be revealed. Don't worry about it. You know, it, there won't be any more secrets anymore held by men. But in context, at the time of the apostles, that the religious system, which was corrupt at the time and had the upper hand, was going to persecute them. And again, when we look in the book of Acts, we see that. But it would be reassuring for them to know, through their master, Jesus, that justice was coming and don't worry about it. Now, today in the world, there are a lot of ministries that call themselves Christians that don't want to be ostracized. They don't want to say the wrong thing from the pulpit. They don't want to be politically incorrect because they don't want to be ostracized by the world. They don't want to be on the news somewhere. Now, let me just, the friendship with the world, the Bible is very clear. There's a, there's a lack of conviction there. Let me just give you an example. There's this new teaching, which is really, a lot of these new teachings are old teachings, but they recycle them every 100, 200 or so years, that um, you shouldn't believe in the rapture. That you shouldn't believe that the Lord's going to return calls believers home, and there is a, a reason behind that. Now, understand this. In the fourth century, now those who propagate this teaching will quote certain believers in the fourth centuries, certain saints that we're supposed to uh, admire. Uh, and basically what happened was in the fourth century, Constantine the Great supposedly had a conversion experience. So he took the Roman Empire, which was vehemently persecuting Christians, and since he was the, at some point he was the, the leader or the emperor, what he did was he merged the Roman Empire with Christianity and said, no more persecution of the Christians. So now when believers would read the Bible, right, because St. Paul, uh, St. Peter, St. John, and Jesus all spoke about the rapture, and that's good enough for me, when the churches started espousing a judgment of the worldly empires, the Romans were like, whoa, 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 what are you guys doing? We laid off on you, you know. We're not bothering you anymore. We're friends. How about chilling out on that teaching a little bit? And you'll notice, wherever the world is merged with the church, and, but they're, they're still saying, you know, it's a tenuous relationship. 
they kind of back off on some of those teachings. That's where that whole thing started. Because it's good enough for me that Jesus and the disciples believed in the rapture. It doesn't matter to me what the 3rd and 4th century saints believe. I'm going to go with Jesus and his followers. I've also illustrated before, again, it goes back to this scripture. Um, I've referenced popular atheists, such as Christopher Hitchens and Penn Jillette, and they know the difference between a real believer and real doctrine and fake doctrine. They know the difference between a real believer who believes in evangelization and those who just want to kind of cozy up with the world. Listen to them. Uh, again, it's amazing the irony of the spiritual realm that atheists know who the real deal is and what solid Christian doctrine is from false. That's pretty impressive. Verse 27, he said, whatever you hear in secret, shout from the housetops. Whatever you hear in the ear, make sure it's known. In addition, Jesus spoke to his disciples intimately. How many times do you remember reading the Gospels and Jesus would speak to his disciples and say, you know, it was a private teaching. They withdrew from the world and it was a, you know, just a, an intimate teaching with him and his disciples. Now, when Jesus was crucified, rose from the dead, had his ministry in 40 days of post-resurrection ministry, and then ascended into heaven, he left the, the building blocks of the church with the apostles. Now he wanted to, at that point, that those teachings would bear fruit. They would bear maturity. Now go preach it on the housetops. I'm going to be with the Father, be at the right hand of the Father. I'm leaving you guys to do this work. So that's where that comes from. Go, go ahead and disseminate it. In John 14, Jesus says something curious. He says that the apostles would do greater works than Jesus. What does that mean? How could that be? He was the Son of God. If you look at the Greek word, it meant greater in an aggregate sense. So you got all these apostles, and the church is growing, and Jesus was confined at one place at a time by his choice, so that when he was to be resurrected and ascended, that the apostles now would go across the face of the earth and do these amazing works. So that's what that means. And, you know, it, must, it might be something just as simple. You say, so what is my application? Again, Pastor Joe, it's, it's New Jersey, it's 2011, uh, I'm going to leave here today and I'm going to go out into the world. What is my application? Well, two things. Number one, don't hide what the Lord has taught you. If you're going through a devotion, if you're receiving a teaching, uh, and you learn something new in the scripture, share it. Right? That's the first thing. The second thing is, don't stop telling others what the Lord has done for you. Remember, look at what's going on in the world today. When I go to my secular job, you know, when things are bad, the guys come to me. So what's going on in the Middle East? What does the Bible say about this? <laughs> I mean, it's talk about green light, <laughs> you know. <laughs> when the economy's good and everything's going great, oh, I don't hear a peep, you know what I'm saying? So I'm sure you experience in the same things. Your friends, your young friends, instability, fear. I mean, a person of the world who doesn't know the Lord, it would be natural for them to have fear about their future. Don't forget to tell them what the Lord has done for you, even if it's just a simple thing of salvation, which is, has great implications, of course. Verse 28, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, what they're basically saying, or what Jesus is saying is, and Again, this is foreign to us. We have freedom of religion in the United States. But in the Roman Empire, uh, certainly today in other countries, there still are beheadings. 
That's got to be a frightening thing to know that you, you know, you're bound and the authorities are going to put you on the chopping block and swing the axe and that's it for you. Or to you know that you're going to swing on the gallows. Still happens in the world. Doesn't happen here. So these guys really uh, faced this choice of if you deny Christ, this has happened all through history. You look at, read Fox's book uh, of the martyrs, burning Christians alive, running them through with the sword. But if you just do this simple thing and deny Jesus, we'll spare your life. And, and the Christians couldn't do it. And they ended up meeting their death. However, Jesus says, don't fear the one who's opposing you in the physical realm. He's going to die too, and he's going to face judgment. Uh, those who sentence you to death, they're going to face judgment. Be strong, be encouraged, and, and you know, uh, you know uh, speak about the Lord right up until the end. Now, sometimes in our country, and I love the freedom of religion. I love to be able to say what I want to say up here, and I'm not being led away in handcuffs by the authorities. In some places, it happens to pastors. But in the United States, sometimes there's a spiritual slothfulness. There's a spiritual apathy. Because we have so many freedoms, ah, I'm so busy, I'll get around to reading the Bible once in a while. I'll get around to living the way the Lord wants me to live. I just got so many things on my plate right now, I can't deal with that. Be careful of that. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now, the 14th point is that the apostle knows that he or she is loved by the Father in heaven regardless of outward circumstances. Remember, on, now, I'm not just going to, oh, let's move on to the next one, the 15th point and the 16th point. Not every Christian believes, I'll tell you this straight off, that the Lord loves them. I uh, hear some, okay, so you just confirmed what I was thinking. It's the truth. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's somebody that you're close to. But sometimes outward circumstances make us believe erroneously that God's forgotten about me. I see all those other Christians, they're doing well. What about me, Lord? What about my situation? I've been praying for this for years, Lord. Have you forgotten about me? Do you not love me? And we struggle with God's timing. We struggle with God not answering prayer right away, or maybe it goes the way that we didn't expect. So not every Christian believes that the Lord loves them. And I'll tell you another thing that I notice with believers is I can tell that a believer doesn't necessarily feel the love of God or believe it because of their self-destructive behaviors. I see many who do things that hurt themselves, that hurt their relationships, because I'm convinced that they're not convinced that the Lord loves them. So I just want to take a moment on, on this one, and, and I want to encourage you, because God does love you. God does love you. And, and I'm going to use some odd examples, because that's my way, to uh, bring that forth. Aren't two sparrows sold for a copper coin? You know, I, I did all this research on sparrows. It was driving me crazy after a while. And then I went into birds, and then I was on pigeons. So, <laughs> so here goes. <laughs> you can actually eat sparrows. Sparrows are cheap. They, there's a way you can catch them. They're, you know, not hard to catch, um, although there's not a whole lot of meat on them. You know, some of us may take seven or eight sparrows for us to get full. But let's leave that on the side. If you study birds, if you watch birds, they're actually very intricate creatures. I ended up uh, studying sparrows a little bit 
as pigeons, and I was really impressed by them. Now, what do we know of pigeons? When you see them in the city, what do you know? Don't walk under them, <laughs> right? Especially if you have nice clothes on, because they're going to, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying. But the point is, there was this documentary on pigeons, which I just loved. My wife and I were watching it for hours. And they actually had a GPS. The, the, the pigeons had a backpack on them. And they had a GPS, and they had a, a pigeon cam. So you basically see the back of their head and their wings going like this, and then you can see everything in front of them. But let me tell you a little bit about pigeons, and I think you'll have a whole new uh, outlook on them. Number one, they have what's called magnetites in their beaks. They have these iron crystals, and these iron crystals are able to pick up the Earth's magnetic field on an X, Y, and Z axis. Basically, it means in three dimensions. So the birds can pick up the magnetic field of the Earth. The second thing is they have olfactory senses that are very keen, and they can tell the difference between the way a forest smells, a city, and uh, the ocean, and that's stored in their memory banks. Pigeons can also remember up to 1,000 images and discern 1,000 images. Now let me give you an example. The one bird, this, this bird was so cool. He was Linus the pigeon. His name was Linus. I don't know why they called him that. But he was in this box, and there was a video camera, so you can watch Linus. Linus is sitting there, he's in this box, and there's a screen, and there's two shoots that have bird seed in it. Well, not yet. What Linus had to do is every, every picture, he had to remember the picture and what color button to press with his beak to get the seed. So you see Linus, picture comes up, he pecks this seed, he eats it, he's ready for the next one. Another picture comes up. A thousand images that Linus was able to peck the button and get a certain amount of a food reward. Uh, very amazing. The other thing that pigeons can do is they can fly for six hours straight. Now, in an hour, each pigeon flaps their wings about 10,000 times. So in a six-hour flight, a pigeon flaps their wings 60,000 times. Now, remember, they are using their wings, and the bigger the wing, the more thrust, the more pressure they have to use to push the air down and get their bodies up. So this is, a, this is like a bench press or a squat for a pigeon. Uh, now, in order for the pigeons to make it for 60,000 flaps, their muscles have to be constantly oxygenated. So instead of a two-chamber pulmonary system like we have, they have a four-chamber. There's two more tubes that come down, and they have uh, lungs in their lower abdomen to really get into the muscle tissue. That's amazing. How many of you have, okay, raise your hand, how many of you have, have walked, done aerobics, or worked out in any capacity? Anybody? This is a very healthy church. I'm glad to see that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every time you raise your hand, I kind of write notes and take files on you. No, just kidding. <laughs> How would you like to do even a hundred heavy squats or bench presses? It's not going to work, right? You could not do what a pigeon does because you don't have the pulmonary system that they have. And after a six, uh, 600 mile flight, they, they go back to their mate and that's why they call them homing pigeons. They always want to find their way home. They go back to their mate, they mate for life, and they kind of kiss and peck each other, whatever. But they're not tired after that flight. Pretty impressive. <laughs> Another thing that they do is they have the ability to see ultraviolet light rays of the sun. Now, what they'll do with a pigeon is they'll take a pigeon, put him in the car, in a cage, blacked out, and drive him 200 miles, set him, set him loose to go fly again. What the pigeon knows how to do is as the pigeon is, is in the car driving, even though he can't see the sun, his brain 
figures out how much elapsed time the trip takes, and his brain tells him where the sun should be in the sky when he gets out of the cage. Can you amaze? I mean, you get a whole new perspective on pigeons. Not bad for a bird brain, right? So next time they, you know, defecate on your shirt, show them a little grace, you know, kind of smile. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I mean, it's humorous, it's cute, it's impressive. I, I, I look at pigeons differently now. But God loves you more than those pigeons. He's given you the ability to worship him. He's made you unique. And as amazing as those birds are and those animals, you are the object of his affection. Do you believe that? Good, good. <laughs> Believe it. So the next question I want to ask, since he um, numbers the hairs of our head, raise your hand. How many of you work in a salon in some capacity? I got my salon people, or used to work in a salon. Okay. <laughs> Did you ever have a customer come in, and you sit them down, and you say, hold on for a second. Usually they say to you, how would you like your haircut? Hold on, hold on. And they're messing with your head, and they're counting your hairs. Would you ever try that? You'd probably get fired. And if you own the place, they probably wouldn't come back and think you're weird. But the truth is, I actually did that with my son. I, I measured his, he's got a lot more hair than I do. See, I got like a widow's peak up here. So what I did was I measured his head sideways. Where the, this, My kid really puts up with me. I, I pray for him. I stay still. I have to do this. <laughs> from one side to the other and from the front to the back. I took the square inches of his uh, applicable follicle head area, scalp area, and then what I did is I took an eighth of an inch square, counted the follicles, and did like an extrapolation uh, method. You know. <laughs> so I found out that my son has <laughs> almost half a million hairs on his head. And I was like, wow! He's like, what, Daddy? You got a lot of hair on your head. <laughs> Now, for some of us, it's easier to count the hairs than others, okay? That's the truth. But the bottom line is, if you really think about how God made you, next time you have a friend, maybe a young friend, who's saying that their life is worth nothing, put your arm around them and say, hey, Bob, you know how many miles of nerves you have in your body? He's going to look at you like you're crazy. Do you know how many gallons of blood your heart has pumped since you've been born? Start throwing those figures out. You know how many cells, billions, quadrillions of cells that your body has sloughed off since you've been born? Start showing that person. Listen, I've had this body for 43 years. There's things I have no idea what's going on inside, but God knows. So he knows not only every hair on your head, every amount of the miles and nerves that go through your body, every amount of gallons of blood that your body has pumped, how many billions of uh, neurons are in your brain and how many trillions of synapses that you make from neuron to neuron. Some of us need more coffee and we get more synapses. But the bottom line is when you sit down with somebody and you think about the intricacy that God has put into us, we realize that the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen? Amen? All right, verse 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Fifteenth point of, of an apostle, that we're not ashamed to declare allegiance to the Savior. Amen. Now, let me just give you a little bit of a scene. We look at the book of Matthew. We look at the book of Luke. Luke adds, confess you before my fathers and the holy angels. 
If we look at Revelation, we see the throne room of God. Now, this stage is kind of neat. It's carpeted and there's steps. The person who did this did a really nice job. But Revelation tells us that God has a throne and before his throne is a sea of glass. And there's lightnings and there's thunders and there's colors we've never seen before. Imagine approaching his throne and seeing that throne, kind of transparent, kind of reflective, like what a light show. Then you see the holy angels. Isaiah 6 tells us that the seraphim have six wings. I want to get, when I see the angels, I just want to get behind one of them and see how the wings come out in six different ways and see how their back muscles move those wings. Maybe they don't have muscles. I don't know. Revelation 4 tells us that before the throne room of God, not only all that neat stuff, we didn't even get to God yet, okay, that there are, um, the word is zoon, where we get the word zoo from. Now, our Bible is translated to be living creatures, but the truth is they're beasts. Now, I don't know if they're God's pets. You know, he kind of made angels for his pleasure, but they're, they have many eyes, and, and some of them look like different animals put together. And they're these, these beasts that stand before the throne. So just imagine walking into his throne room. I mean, this, this, this is nice. Look at the wood and the cathedral ceilings. This is pretty, isn't it, in this church? But just imagine walking into God's throne room. And we haven't even gotten to God yet. Let me tell you something. Walking before that throne is not the time to figure out whose side you're on. Okay? Let me just put all in perspective for you. Take all that into your mind, and when you get there, and you haven't made that profession of faith, it's too late. Right? Now, some people, when they come up to receive the Lord, are intimidated. I am. When I received the Lord many years ago, my knees were knocking because I was in fear of the Lord. Now imagine seeing him in all of his glory. The time to declare allegiance to the Lord is now, not then. Amen. Because then it's too late. It's too late before to go before the Lord and for the Lamb's book of life to be opened up and they say, Jane, I don't see your name in here. You're not in the book of life. Imagine the feeling that that's going to evoke. But it's our choice. We declare allegiance to our Lord now. And when we walk into that throne room, we don't have to be intimidated. Jesus is like, yeah, I know he sinned. I got it all covered. I paid for it at the cross. Never to, to stain my son or my daughter ever again. That's the beauty of God. So get in there and get in there now. Today is the day of salvation. Verse 34. He says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes will be those of his own household. He who loves me, excuse me, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Sixteenth point of an apostle. And this is hard. Not to put any relationship, any relationship that we have above the love of God. God will only take first place in our lives. And many of us, if we're honest, you know, we have great relationships on the earth. It is a difficult task. Right? Sometimes it's a hard thing. But, you know, the Bible is not, believe me, some have really twisted this scripture. This isn't a call to arms. This doesn't mean that when we become believers, we get rid of our family and, and disown them. That's not what this is saying. But, right? But, but some of you want to do that? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> but when Christ is introduced into your life, it will cause a natural tension with those who are not submitted to Christ. Those of you who have unsaved spouses or children, struggle. Keep praying for them. Keep praying. God does answer prayer. Don't give up. Right? Like that persistent widow. 
the unequal spiritual yoking will cause a natural tension and problems due to an allegiance issue. Now, what about our kids? I've seen believers really compromise in the subject. Say, but it's my kid. But I but use the excuse, but I love my kid. That's great. Your kid will respect you more if you put up boundaries. That's the truth. If we call ourselves Christians and we let our kids push our buttons and test our limits and we never love them enough to, to cause a consequence for those actions, then what happens is our kids will naturally learn to disrespect us over the years. Now, let me just say this to kids, especially teens, because I was there. Give your parents some slack because a perfect parent is an animal that doesn't exist on this planet. I'm not a perfect parent to my 11-year-old. So if you're here and you're a teenager, give your parents, cut them some slack. They're doing the best they can, and they love you. Okay? So that's a good relationship that we need to learn between the parents and the kids, especially as they're asserting their independence and they're um, going through hormonal changes. It's tough, and it certainly uh, needs a lot of prayer. Verse 38, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Seventeenth point, an apostle is to carry his or her cross, the way of the cross. Now, Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane was tempted to subvert and to rout the way of the cross. We remember reading that. He, he sweat as like a great drops of blood. There was a lot of stress involved in that. But Jesus was faithful and went the way of the cross. So don't think for a moment that we won't be tempted as his followers to route the way of the cross. And you may ask, well, what does that mean? Well, God has given us life. At some point in our lives, we ask the Lord, what is it that you'll have me do with my life? And the way of the cross is a difficult road. It means not to live for ourselves, but to live for the Lord. And that takes, that takes a lot. And some complain, oh, the sacrifice, you know, giving up my life, that's a difficult thing. Listen, when I lived on the other side of salvation years ago, I thought I was a free man. I I bought my own house. I was a single guy. I could buy what I want. I had nobody tell me what to do, no parents anymore. Uh, But the bottom line was I just lived for my flesh. Look what goes on in Hollywood. And we're not going to talk about Charlie Sheen again. But, I mean, these people need your prayers because they're confused. Was it Dave, actually, when he taught, spoke about somebody else who was famous, an actor who had so much but was really musing about the meaning of life. Pastor Anthony has shared. How many people can you find that are rich beyond belief, but they still question the meaning of their lives? Look over at Hollywood, and every once in a while, they'll fly to Africa, give some money, or adopt a child to assuage their guilt or to make them feel like their life has meaning. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I am saying that I don't care how much money you have, that's not going to buy you happiness. That's not going to give you contentment. The way of the cross, it's a difficult road, but that's what we were designed for. And that's hard for some to, uh, to come to grips with. Only when we give our life to him and we would lose our life for confessing him do we really find eternal life and that abundant life here. Verse 40 last few verses. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, 
he shall by no means lose his reward. Eighteenth point, last point, is an apostle is identified with Christ. I don't know about you, but to me that is a great honor. That if we are, if an apostle or somebody representing the Lord is, is helped or blessed by somebody to continue our work, that person receives a reward. So you might even say, gee, I don't know if I have any abilities, but you help someone to further God's cause, there is a reward for that. That's, that's amazing. There's an expression that says, you may be the only Jesus that a person sees. We represent him. Now, that's not easy. Even in my own life, um, it's a hard thing to always represent him, to always try to be that, because we're still sinners. So that, that's something that we still can struggle with, but that's the, the ideal situation. Matthew 25, which we'll get to, Jesus said, if you've done any of these things, um, fed somebody who is hungry, visited someone in prison, uh, if you've done any of these, to the, these, my brethren, you've done them to me. And those would ask, well, how do we do that to you, Jesus? I don't remember doing that. And that's what he says. Any of my representatives, uh, you know, any of the little ones, any of the, you know, you receive a certain type of reward. Now, after going over these 18 points, I ask you, Will you represent him? Look inside of your heart. Christ said that the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. Will you stand up with me and be used by God to make a difference in this world? Look at the failing economy. See, you know what's funny? You, you can leave the United States and say, oh, we have problems here with the economy. They, they have problems in Europe. They have problems in other continents. So it's all over. Civil wars? Oh, we don't have civil wars like they do in North Africa, but look what's going on in Wisconsin. It's chaos. You know, uh, it, could, it may even get worse. Natural disasters. Look what just happened in Japan. We have earthquakes too. We have natural disasters. Terrorism is a worldwide problem. Disease, poverty. Um, it's finally hitting the news. But in the United States, heroin addiction is big now, making a comeback. Methamphetamine labs out in the Midwest in the farm areas making a comeback. People are dying from this stuff. This is happening at the same time, opium problems, uh, narcotic issues in the Middle East because of the poppy plants. It's all over the place. And you may say, Pastor Joe, well, what can I do? It may just come down to loving someone enough to give them the hope of the truth of the God's plan of salvation. Can God count on you? Let's pray.